But John chapter 8. John chapter 8, I hope you found there in your Bible. This is, takes place the day after Jesus had issued the call. If any man thirsts, let him come and drink. And uh, the, the pro progression of thought, the progression of events continues right on. John, Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse number 1. Gospel of John. The Bible says, Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives. Every man went to his own house. Verse number 53 of chapter 7. Verse number 1, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning... He came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, teacher, master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted himself up and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. That's an important word right there. Lord. Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. The title this morning is The Grace and Truth of Jesus Christ. The Grace and Truth of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you again. and Lord, I, as we're opening up your word, I know that in my own strength I cannot uh, properly preach. Lord, I just pray that you would work, Lord, that your uh, spirit would use your words to speak to our hearts. I pray that you would just give a gift of preaching this morning. I pray that you would bless my voice, bless the word of God, help us to hear, help us to be changed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. John chapter 8. Go ahead and stick a finger in John chapter 1. We're going to be there in just a second. We, in order to uh, get into what's going on, we need to be reminded about the person of Jesus Christ. The Gospel of John was written 
If you remember, all the way when we started back in March, all right, we've been here for a good while, and we're going to keep going. Why? Because we need to know Jesus Christ, knowing Jesus Christ. And the Gospel of John was written that we might believe on the name of Jesus Christ, and that believing we might have life through His name. If we want to have life through, if we want to have spiritual life, it comes through the person of Jesus Christ. It only comes through the person of Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 1, God, through the writing of his word, through the writing of the, of the apostle John, reveals about the character, about the nature of Jesus Christ. And really the passage, which was a real event, which was a real circumstance that really happened. There was a real woman here. There was real. Jesus really had to deal with this situation. But this situation is going to reveal, it's going to um, let shine through the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. Verse number 14 of John chapter 1. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse number 16, John is speaking of Him, of His fullness have we all received, and grace for grace, for the law was given by Moses. The law, the Word of God, was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. See? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, very God in the flesh, he took on human, he took on a human body. He the creator took on the form of the creation. He was made in the likeness of men. The word became flesh. The word that was God and is God from existence before creation veiled himself in human flesh and he came in the form of a servant. He was born in the lowest of circumstances. He lived in obscurity for nearly 30 years until it was his father's time. They already have Christmas trees up in the stores. Jesus Christ did uh, fake ones anyways. Uh, decorations for sale. Jesus Christ did not come so we could have a uh, holiday event. Jesus Christ came to bring grace and truth to fallen mankind. The Christmas story is to be a celebration, not of family. Though that's good, we should celebrate family. There's nothing wrong with having a good time so long as it's in holiness and done, uh, done correctly. Um, but rather, Christmas is about Jesus Christ. We know Jesus wasn't born on December 25th, but if the whole world stops to celebrate it, we can too, and we can point people, he came bringing grace and truth. Jesus Christ came to manifest. Verse number 18 of John chapter 1 says, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Does everybody remember what's going on there? He's, John is revealing that Jesus Christ came because you and I cannot physically see God. Anybody here seen God? I can promise you, you haven't. Okay? Um, if you tell me you have, you're just adding to another list of your sins by lying. You have not physically seen God. But you can know Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came so that 
those who because of their sinful nature cannot see God can know God. That is the grace and truth of Jesus. He came full of grace and truth. The world had access through the Jewish nation at that time to the law of God, to the writings of Moses from God. They revealed the holiness of God. They revealed the power of God. If you've read Exodus, if you've read Leviticus, and you say, what is all these sacrifices, and what is all these uh, kosher regulations, and what is all this, you have to offer this sacrifice, and thou shalt not, and thou shalt, and thou shalt not, and thou shalt, what is that all about? It reveals this, God is holy. God is perfect. And if we're going to approach unto God, we must approach unto God in a holy way. But the purpose of the law, Galatians tells us, it, it is our schoolmaster. It is to show us that we are not holy. It is to show us that we are sinners, that we are guilty before God. And Jesus Christ reveals the grace and the truth that there is a way to be saved. Grace is, it's been said this way in an acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is his undeserved help to accomplish what pleases him. We need, it's by grace we are saved, it is by grace that we live for God. What is truth? Truth is the word of God. Thy word is truth. Jesus is the living word. To know Jesus is to know the truth. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father. In a couple weeks, we're going to get to John chapter 8, and verse number 31, where he said, if ye continue in my words, uh, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. How many people in our world are looking for freedom, are looking for liberty? They're looking, I just want to be set free. Can I tell you, there's one thing that brings freedom. There's one thing that will set your soul and yourself free from the bondage of sin. And that is the truth of Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to this earth bringing grace and truth. Every word that Jesus spoke was grace and truth. It was truth and it was grace undeserved that God himself was speaking to us. Think about that. He was speaking the truth, but the very fact that Jesus was there is the epitome of God's grace. All God had to do to let every one of us go to hell was nothing. But God came. God himself took on flesh and came to this earth. He brought life and light to a world in darkness. We need to understand this. Jesus did not come to make mankind feel better about themselves. Jesus Christ did not come to make this world a better place. Jesus did not come to make our life better. Jesus came to change us and give us the opportunity to believe on his name so that we could be made the children of God. Every miracle that Jesus performed was not for the purpose of just making people happy or having a good time. Or making everyone love one another. No, the purpose of Jesus performing those miracles was him demonstrating grace and truth. 
It was him showing people, you need to believe who I am. It wasn't just about making people feel better or having a better life. It was about, no, don't you understand? I am grace and truth. I am the son of God. I am the life giver. It was to shine the light. That's why Jesus came. The disciples and each person who encountered Jesus Christ encountered grace and truth. In fact, it was the men who came to arrest Jesus who went back to the Pharisees and had to say, never man spake like this man. Right? Come on. How many remember that last week? Never man spake like this man. Why could they say that? Because they encountered grace and truth. They encountered the truth of Jesus Christ and the grace of God in that. He came to bring grace and truth. But surely if Jesus came today, Everyone would welcome him with open arms. All of our disagreements would be wiped out and we would all love each other and everything would be perfect, right? Absolutely wrong. It didn't take place in Jesus' day. And if Jesus take place or when his word preached right now, is preached right now, the Bible says he came unto his own. The world was made by him. The world knew him not. Came unto his own in his own Received him not. John chapter 3 says, Light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. As we reach John chapter 8, the hatred of those against Jesus is, is growing. There's, there's continued rejection against Jesus Christ. But let's just look at the grace, and, uh, grace of Jesus Christ real quick. Okay, every man, as we ended chapter 7, every man went to his own house. They said, uh, we don't want to deal with this Jesus right now. We don't want to, uh, we're not listening to you or we're rejecting you. And yet, what did Jesus do the very next morning? He got up at dawn, early in the morning, and he went to the temple, and he began to teach again. Giving them another opportunity to hear the word of God. Giving them another opportunity to be confronted with truth. You talk about grace. You talk about mercy that they did not deserve in ourselves. When someone rejects us, we say, fine, I'm not going back anymore. Fine, if you want to do that, have it your way. But Jesus Christ came back and once again taught them truth. Now, we are not guaranteed another opportunity to hear the truth. We're not guaranteed another, another tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to get yourself right with God. But Jesus Christ continued Words of grace and truth were ringing out through the halls of the temple once again. Any heart that was soft and ready to hear could be changed by the power of God's word. That's, just, that's, that's what's going on. That's the setting. Jesus is teaching. And suddenly, everything is interrupted. In the middle of his sermon, now we've had kids make noise. Uh, one time we had a wasp fly right at my face during a Wednesday night service years ago, and I'm up here ducking and doing something. I hadn't gone Pentecostal. There was just a, a, a wasp flying at my face. We've had some interruptions. But praise the Lord, nothing like the interruption that took place in the temple. The scribes and Pharisees approached Jesus which is, with, a situa with a situation that revealed the wretchedness and the darkness of the hearts of the people of the city of Jerusalem. Really, 
the whole world. Wretchedness and darkness. That's a pretty bleak picture, isn't it? Jerusalem was filled with religion. Jerusalem was filled with the word of God. If you walked through Jerusalem at that time and you looked at homes, there would be scriptures on top of every home. There would be writings, uh, copies of the verses from the Torah on, on every person's house. There would be scripture all throughout. The temple was filled with the scrolls of the word of God. And yet, in the hearts of men and women, there was darkness. Okay? The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman to Jesus for judgment who had been caught in the very act of adultery. That's what it says, in the very act. She was guilty of breaking the law of God. There could be no question as to the verdict. She, there, was, there was no hearsay here. There was concrete evidence she was guilty of breaking the law of God. By the way, this was the day after a religious feast. They had just finished the Feast of the Tabernacles that was supposed to be celebrating a right relationship with God. On the 10th day of the, the, 10th day of the month was the Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. On the 15th day of the month started the seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Harvest that was to celebrate a right relationship with God. And here the day after the feast ends, the scribes and Pharisees drag a woman in with a situation that is wretched. That's a good word to describe it. The Jewish leaders interrupt the teaching of Jesus with a shocking, shameful, blatant story. From these religious leaders' accusations, this is not from the scandal sheet of some dirty publication. This is a, a there is no doubt about her guiltiness. By the way, God's standard of righteousness has not changed even in our culture today, all right? What God's word condemns as sexual sin and as perversion still is. It is still deserving of God's judgment. Whether it is sexual relations before marriage, outside of marriage, any form of relations that is outside of the bounds of a biblical marriage, God calls sin. Doesn't matter what our society says, it doesn't matter what our government says. God established marriage between one woman, between one man, under the covenant of marriage. The idea of just living together, the idea of cohabitation, oh, we just uh, uh, shacking up, whatever they want to say in our society today, God still calls it sin, God still calls it uh, perversion, it is still wrong. Uh, pornography and lust is, is adultery in the heart. That uh, just uh, doing what says, I'm not hurting anybody. Yes, you are. It destroys marriages. Homosexuality is sin. It is a perversion. Transgenderism is marring the image of God. God's standard of righteousness has not changed. It's still wrong. It's still sin. Can we say this? There was no doubt that this woman was guilty of gross sin. They put the question to Jesus. The law of Moses says she should be stoned. But what do you say? Okay, now, the law of God was clear. Leviticus chapter 20. The man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. 
Okay? And there was provisions in the law for, um, for attacks on, on someone that protected the innocence of someone. But in the case of adultery, there was to be judgment. Think of the wretched condition of this woman. She is guilty. She knows she's guilty. The law of God had listed the penalty of sin, of this sin, as death. She has been brought into the temple. She has been, para- she has been paraded before all of the city of Jerusalem to see. I mean, you talk about the shame, and you talk about just uh, everyone now is going to identify her. That there's in her mind, there's just moments before the stones begin to fly. But remember, Jesus knows the hearts of men. He needs not that any testify to him of what's in man. Jesus knew the heart of the woman. He knew that she was guilty. And he knew the heart of those religious men that were bringing her to him. Jesus understood the real situation perfectly. Yes, the condition of the woman was wretched. But Jesus knew that the hearts of the scribes and Pharisees were full of darkness. That they in reality cared nothing for the truth or for righteousness. What they were interested in was getting rid of Jesus. Isn't that what it says in verse number 6? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. Alright? They had heard Jesus call out to him, but they had already rejected him, saying, he's just from Galilee. We're ignoring the evidence. We're not listening to the signs. We're not listening to the word that he preaches. We're going, we're not going to believe in him. And so John chapter says, John chapter 12, verse number 46 says that whosoever believeth on me shall not abide in darkness. So if you don't believe on Jesus, you're in darkness. These men are in darkness. See, they had laid a perfect trap for Jesus. They found a woman, and they somehow found out about this situation. They brought this woman to Jesus. They said, this is what the law of Moses says, but what do you say? Okay, here's, what, here's, their, here's their trap. If Jesus said, no, don't stone her. They already had in their minds that Jesus desecrated the Sabbath. He had not, but in their minds he had. They turned to the people and said, we have it written in the word of God that this woman is to be stoned. And this teacher over here defies the law of God and treats lightly the law of God. He can't be from God. And they discredit Jesus. But also, the Romans had established that no one could be put to death without their approval in the city of Jerusalem. So if Jesus says, carry out the law of God, she must be stoned. They already had their fastest Pharisee set up right outside the temple to run straight to Pilate's hall to announce that Jesus was starting a riot and murdering people in the city and were ready to have the Roman soldiers come and take out Jesus. Okay, can we say this? They had their perfect trap set. They knew the law of God. They didn't need Jesus to approve or deny anything. What they were doing was they were using and they were twisting the scriptures for their own own purposes. Notice they didn't bring the man. The Bible, the law commanded the adulterer and the adulteress. The fact that they didn't bring the man 
And the fact that somehow at the perfect time they knew about this situation and was able to bring this woman before Jesus in the perfect time should wave some serious red flags about their involvement in this situation. This is the epitome of darkness. Under the guise of caring about righteousness, under the guise of saying we love God, they're demonstrating their lack of spiritual sight. They're demonstrating their unbelief by attempting to remove Jesus. Brother Sam said the Pharisees were not at all interested in the welfare of the woman. They were not at all interested in the righteousness of God. Nor were they concerned about the violation of Moses' law, else they would have brought the man too. After all, there are no adulteresses if there are no adulterers. See, the problem was the Pharisees did not hate sin at all. They were hypocrites acting as they had a passion for Moses' law. They were using every guile and trick. Sounds like Satan to me, right? Okay. They were trying to entrap Jesus. If the scripture helped them reach their goal, great, we'll use it. Later, they're going to use the Herodians, people who cared nothing about God, people who cared nothing for the truth. They were going to use the uh, politicians of their day to help them trap Jesus. They were going to use whatever they could. So what, what do we see here? Darkness. We have wretchedness and we have darkness. The Pharisees and the scribes had set. They had sprung their trap. Jesus had to respond and as soon as he did, either way, they had him. They thought they did. Because they refused to acknowledge who they were dealing with. Colossians tells us that in, him, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Proverbs tells us there is no counsel or understanding or wisdom against the Lord. You're not going to outsmart God. God who knows the hearts, you're not going to get one by him. And he's going to respond in perfect wisdom. We have a, a situation of wretchedness. This woman who is without a doubt been caught in the snares of adultery. We have the darkness of religious leaders who are using the scripture for their own purposes and plotting and planning to, to, to try to take out the God they claim to worship. How did Jesus respond? Number one, he responded in truth. He responded in truth. He shined the light of truth that exposed the hearts of each one to the truth of God's word. Each person was confronted with truth. Okay, how did, how, did, how did Jesus respond in truth? Well, first he took no notice of the Pharisees and their impossible question or even the woman. He stooped down and he began writing with his finger on the pavement of the temple. You have to see this picture. Okay. All the scribes and Pharisees in their robes and their religious regalia standing around him. The people standing around shocked, color in their cheeks just with the embarrassment of the, of the situation there. The woman standing in the midst, shamed, bracing herself for the stones about to fly. You could have cut the tension in that room with a knife, we would say. I mean, there's just utter silence waiting for Jesus to respond and... He kneels down and starts tracing in the dust of the temple. Jesus was in perfect control and understanding. He ignores their unethical question. And he begins writing words on the floor. Now there's been a lot of 
Well, what do you think Jesus was writing? Okay. I'm not going to be dogmatic on this. I'm not going to make it a point of doctrine. But I did some word studies on where the finger of God is used in the Bible. They're there talking with Jesus Christ who began writing on the floor with his finger. The very finger that 1,400 years before had engraved the Ten Commandments in the Law of Stone. Okay, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 31 that the two tables of testimony, the tables of stone, written with the finger of God. I'm not going to be dogmatic on this, but Jesus responded in truth. Whether he wrote their sins, it's very possible. But really all he had to do was start retracing what his finger had traced. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. All he had to do was begin tracing the word of God on the pavement and Jesus was dealing with the situation. Apparently they weren't paying attention to what Jesus was writing. They, and they began to ask. It says they persevered. They, they continued persistently asking him. They weren't going to let Jesus get out of their trap. We spent so much time. We were up all night thinking about this. We're not going to let you out of this. You're going to have to answer this question. The woman is still standing there held tightly in the grasp of their temple guard there. Guilty, waiting for judgment to fall. They persisted. Jesus, come on, you got to answer this question. You can't say no comment on this. So Jesus spoke once again. He spoke the words of truth that cut through the darkness and revealed and exposed the hearts of these men. Jesus did not deny the woman was a sinner. Jesus did not condone her sin. He did not go, oh, that's not that big of a deal. It's the, it's the uh, first century. Come on, Pharisees, we need to get with the times. Jesus did not say that. Jesus did not contradict his law. Rather, Jesus brought the other half of the law into play. You see, not only did the law require, if there was adultery, if there were certain crimes, there was to be serious judgment. The law, of, the law required there to be valid witnesses. To mete out the capital punishment. Deuteronomy tells us at the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses. Shall he that is worthy to be death be put to death at the mouth of one witness. Shall he not be put to death. And the hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death. And afterward the hands of all the people. So shalt thou put away evil among you. He's saying if there's, if there's murder, if there's certain sins, there needs to be a dealing with the sin. By the way, one of the problems in our society is there's been a lack of dealing with crime. There's been a lack of dealing with problems. The reason our, uh, such things are going on in our country is because there, there has not been consequences for sin for a long time. Just saying. But Jesus said, he that was without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. Right? First, let him first cast a stone at her. He's saying, you're the ones bringing the charges. If you want to do this by the law of God, let's do this by the law of God. You're bringing the charges. You're the witnesses. If you're not involved in this, if you're able to actually stand and give a clear witness, 
then you need to be the one who cast the first stone. That's what the law says. He exposed their inability to be a valid witness. He said, you know the law. You're bringing the charges. Which one of you is qualified to be a real witness and cast the first stone? Jesus went right back to the ground, writing on the ground. And the truth of God went to work on these hardened men's hearts. The Bible says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. They had brought a guilty woman before Jesus, whom there was no doubt of her guilt, but as they arrived before Jesus and Jesus spoke the words of truth, it was they who were convicted. Isn't that the word that's in our text this morning? There's a reason it's there. It wasn't that they were just impressed or they were shamed. No, they were found guilty. Before the truth of God's word, they were convicted in their own conscience. By the way, the conscience is, a, is a, simply a reality that reveals that we are spiritual beings. Animals don't have a conscience. But every person has a conscience. Because we are created in the image of God. And the fact that you know that there's something between wrong and right reveals that you were created in the image of God. It doesn't mean that you're saved. It doesn't mean that you know God. It means that you were created in the image of God, which God has put in every person, uh, a conscience that warns you that is wrong. We've all sinned against that conscience. And these men were standing before Jesus Christ, and they were convicted. The truth of Jesus Christ went forth, and it cut asunder the, the lies and what was going on, and it said... Yes, she is guilty, but you are guilty as well. You are just as guilty before the law of God as she is. They were all too eager to call out the sin of this woman. But as soon as the conviction of the truth set on them, let's forget we were even here today. Um, I'm not going to talk about it if you don't talk about it. What did they do? From the oldest to the youngest, they walked out. They were standing before Jesus. They were convicted of the truth of God's word, and they walked out. Not willing to deal with their own sinful hearts. But I'm so glad the story isn't over yet. Because as Jesus stood up and he looked, he saw the woman still standing there. Now, in my mind, the woman was being held there. She had been brought as a captive. There is now no one any longer guarding her. As she watched the men slipped out, no doubt if she had wanted to, she could have slipped out with them too. If you're not under custody anymore, I'm free. She couldn't. She stood there before Jesus Christ because she understood she was guilty. She accepted the truth of her fate. All the religious accusers have been convicted themselves. They've slunk away in, in the grass like the snakes that they are. With all the accusers gone, there's no case against her. That's why Jesus said, where are your accusers? With no witnesses, there's no case against her, but she knows. She's guilty. 
She remained because she accepted the truth of God's word that she was guilty and she wanted to deal with it. That's why she calls him Lord. Jesus calls her woman. Now wait a second, think about that. What do you think the other people in the crowd would have called her? Harlot? Okay. A lot of other less nicer names? Jesus said woman. The same term he used to refer to his mother. This was a term of tenderness. Woman, where are thine accusers? And in Jesus' words, the story goes from darkness to light. It goes from wretchedness to beauty. And the mercy of grace are offered to this guilty woman. One man pointed out, there is no greater wonder we have yet covered in the Gospel of John than this. The turning of the water to wine, the healing of the dying lad by a word, the nobleman's son, the feeding of the 5,000 with a snack lunch, the walking on a storm-tossed sea, None of these nor all of them together compares with this that Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. There was guilt that was there. She stood before the very Son of God un, um, unquestionably guilty. And yet because of the grace of Jesus Christ, he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. She turned she had heard the truth, and she turned to the truth. She called him, no man, Lord. The Pharisees hadn't called Jesus Lord. They wouldn't call Jesus Lord. They called him teacher, which was a term of respect, but it was not a term of surrender. She called him Lord. There was conviction, and every time there's conviction, there's the opportunity to be forgiven. There's the truth of God's word. By the way, can I have 10 minutes? Okay. We, we got to go somewhere. We got to finish this up, all right? There's another, there's another way that the finger of God is used in the Bible. Or the finger is used. I, I just did a word search on the word finger, and it was used. The finger of God engraved on the table of stones, the law of God. But if we go to the book of Leviticus, and we talk about the priests... What had just happened at the Day of Atonement, days before, the last time this would be needed, the priest had walked into the Holy of Holies with the bowl of the blood of the bull, with the bullock's blood in his hand, and he dipped his finger in that blood, and he had sprinkled it towards the law of God. He had sprinkled it towards the mercy seat, and it's going to be in six months later that the Holy, that Jesus Christ is going to die on the cross, and he's going to appear in the heaven before God, bearing his own blood that brings eternal redemption. And Jesus Christ, the same finger that wrote the law of God, is going to dip his finger in the blood of Jesus Christ, and he sprinkled it on the throne of heaven forever offering eternal redemption so that there is truth and there is grace here is a concrete case of a guilty sinner leaving the presence of Christ uncondemned it was not because the law had been slighted or unfulfilled the requirements of the law were strictly complied with her sin had been openly condemned. Go and sin no more. Yet she herself was uncondemned. 
She was forgiven. She was dealt with according to grace and truth. Jesus told her, this is what you have been. You've been forgiven. Go and sin no more. You have a new life to walk. You have a new purpose to live. Jesus did not tell her, Mother Sam said this, go and live the lifestyle that fits you. He did not say go and enjoy. He told her, go and, live no, go and sin no more. There's, the, there's some people who give the idea that if you come to Jesus Christ, then you get to, get to do whatever you want. No, you, if you come to Jesus Christ and you deal with the truth of your sin, you are going to be constrained by the love and the grace of God so that you cannot do the things that you used to do. You see, Jesus responded to the wretchedness and the darkness of the situation by shining the truth on the hearts of men and offering grace and mercy to those who have received the truth. Once again, this is written for our learning. This is not written just so we can uh, praise the Lord for His grace to this woman. This is written so God can examine our hearts. Our world today is full of wretchedness and darkness today because men and women have not changed. It is very easy to look into society and see the wretchedness of those living without God, openly against the morals of God. It's, easily, it's easy to condemn, and we should, but easy to condemn the, the sin and the, uh, the degradation and the, just the um, wretchedness of the fact that there's drag queens in front of little children and the transgender and all the evil that is associated with that. It is against God. Is it, it is against that. It is against the word of God. It destroys lives. It's easy to say that's terrible. Oh, that's awful. It's easy to see the darkness and the horrors of what's going on with the Hamas attacks where children and women are being murdered and brutalized and all of that's going on. It's easy to see the sin of others. But we never like to see the sin in our own hearts. It was easy for the Pharisees to say, "Up, oh, this woman's a sinner and we're going to make Jesus deal with this. But they didn't want Jesus dealing with their hearts. And it's a whole lot easier to preach about what somebody else is doing than allow the word of God to convict what's going on in our hearts. It's easy to excuse choosing our own way. By the way, there's always going to be wicked people who quote the scripture only when they perceive it will further their cause. The Bible is not here for your personal use. It is here for you to obey and follow. And Jesus Christ still responds to this world with truth. There, there's no doubt that there's darkness, there's wretchedness. We can look at our own lives and say, yeah, there's darkness that is there. There's things, regrets, that I hope nobody ever finds out about. There's things that I'm dealing, there's, there's problems that I'm struggling with that I hope, I hope nobody in church knows that I have that. Can I tell you, Jesus Christ already knows. His truth is dealing with that. God's standard of righteousness does not change with the winds of society. It doesn't matter what someone says is right. It matters what thus saith the word of God says. And that doesn't change. Ever. That's truth. And when God presents truth, we are all guilty 
There is no one who stands before the truth of God unconvicted. That's why the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God is still dealing with this word in truth. We are all sinners. But God's truth reveals our need for God's grace. God's truth reveals our need for God's grace. Those who will accept the truth about their sin can receive God's grace. Someone who's lived a homosexual lifestyle, if they'll accept the truth of God's grace, they can be forgiven. They can be made a child of God. They can be made right with God. How do you know that? There's people in the church at Corinth that were that. There were people in the church at Ephesus that the Bible says, such were some of you, but now you are washed. Now you are sanctified through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you are a very good person. It doesn't matter if you are openly convicted. Every person before the law of God, before the truth of God, stands convicted. And you're going to do one of two things. You're going to say, I don't like that. You're going to walk away. And you don't get God's grace. And without God's grace, you cannot enter heaven. Without God's grace... You cannot be forgiven. But those who will stand before God and say, yes, I'm guilty. Yes, I'm convicted. There's nothing I can do about it. God says, here's my grace. If you'll come to me, if you'll drink of me, rivers of living water shall flow out of your belly. God deals with us according to truth and grace. But if you want God's grace got to deal with the truth we're sinners we can't please God in our own flesh it's called being born again and once you've come to that point where you've said I can't save myself I am a sinner I deserve the judgment of God you can receive God's grace and we're called to live in that grace it's not Okay, great, do whatever I want now. No, it's go and sin no more. Live in the light of that grace. Walk with God. And by the way, that's why Jesus is going to say in the very next verse, I am the light of the world. Right? He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. If you'll simply come to Jesus Christ and we'll walk in His grace, we'll have His light, we'll have His knowledge, we'll have that fellowship, but He deals with us in truth and grace. In order to get His grace, we have to deal with the truth. But anyone, it doesn't matter your past, it doesn't matter the good or the bad, we stand convicted before the truth. But we have to stay to receive God's grace. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for the blood that was shed on Calvary that can bring forgiveness, that can bring redemption. We thank you for your love for us and the truth and the grace. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would work in hearts that not one here would hear the truth of God's word and walk away. But Lord, you know the hearts. You know each person. I pray that you would challenge our hearts. 
pray there if, that there's one here this morning that does not know you as Savior. That today would be the day that they receive your grace. I pray for you to do a work in our hearts and lives. I pray, Lord, that we would, those of us who know you, would walk in your grace. Lord, guide us, direct us, speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. I'll have the piano begin to play. Time of what we call invitation. It's an opportunity to say, Lord, this is what you've spoken to me about. I will obey. I will follow. If you're here today and you don't know that you're on your way to heaven, would you let us open the Bible and show you the grace of God so that you can say, I know Jesus is my Savior. I know. My sins have been forgiven. There's one way that can happen. That's through the truth and the grace of God. If you say, I've been saved, are you living against the truth? It's not living in God's grace.